Hello, friends. It's time for the second hour of Open Line, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. So glad that you are listening today. So grateful for you. Uh, we're talking about your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. My name is Michael Radell. I'm the academic dean and professor of Jewish studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. We're live today around the radio kitchen table. We're talking about your questions. So give me a call. The phone number, 877-548-3675. If you can't call, just go to our website, openlineradio.org. You'll see a link that says, ask Michael a question. Click on that and you can post your question for the mailbag. Mailbag. I hope you have your Bibles open and a second cup of coffee because we're getting ready to talk about the scriptures. We're going to speak with Rhonda in Fairmont, Minnesota, listening on KFSI. Welcome to Open Line, Rhonda. How can I help you? Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead with your question. Oh, yeah. Galatians 6. I'm caught in. um, If you catch someone in a sin, you should restore that person gently. But um, also, if I have a, if I'm also a sinner, how can I tell that person they're a sinner when I'm also a sinner? It to me, it seems like it's a little confusing. Relationship. Okay, uh, here's what it says, brothers: If someone is caught in any wrongdoing, now I don't think that's saying if if anyone is caught sinning, because a lot of people sin. I sin. You sin. Uh, everyone sins. Yeah. But what it's, it's saying here in Galatians 6, 1, if someone is caught, not caught by you, but caught, caught up in, in sin, struggling with a particular sin uh, uh, compulsively. Do you understand what I mean by caught in sin? So it, what you're saying is if I know someone no, no, that it, is caught what in it's, sin, then you... No, dear, listen. What I'm asking is, it means to be caught in a sin, caught by a sin. Uh, okay. The, think about it like someone is running away from sin, but sin captures, ca- catches up to him, takes him, holds him. Okay. Okay? So it's not just, right. oh, I caught this person in a sin. What it's saying is, someone is really caught up in sin. Okay. And then it says here, you who are spiritual. The word spiritual doesn't mean someone who's got like the pie, you know, his, his, his head in the heavenlies or something like that. Spiritual is used in 1 Corinthians 2 to refer to someone who is a mature follower of Jesus. Spiritual means a, a mature believer. So it's saying is, just anyone ought not to address him if he's caught up by sin. But rather, a mature believer should go. Now, what should he do? He shouldn't go and condemn him. Such one should restore a person. So the purpose of any address to a person caught up by sin or in sin is restorative. That's the first thing. It must be restorative. Secondly, it must be done gently. It says, do it with a gentle spirit. And then thirdly, watch out for yourself so you won't be tempted as well. 
with a spirit of humility, of recognizing we all sin, we all struggle with sin, but uh, I'm coming to you to help you. So it's redemptive, it's uh, to be done, it's by a mature person who is acting redemptively, gently, and also with humility. Does that help at all? Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for your call, Rhonda. Uh huh. Thanks for that call. We're going to speak with Evelyn in Hartford, Michigan, listening on WGNB. Uh, That's the Grand Rapids stations, is it not, Evelyn? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. That's good. Uh, How can I help you today? Well, I called in and gave the lady the question. Um, I've heard it mentioned this past year quite a few times, but it doesn't explain it in the Bible. It says, you are made in the image of God. Now, I like a little more explanation. It doesn't explain it at all in the Bible. Well, the first thing that the Bible seems to say is that it's not anything else in creation. No animal has the image of God, only humanity. So it is unique, whatever the image of God is. Uh, It's after the 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 parade of animals and there's none to be a partner and so god makes eve uh out of out of uh adam and uh and then they are once again declared to be in the image of god also at the end of genesis 1 when he makes humanity let us make man in our image according to our likeness they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock and all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created them in the image of God. He created them male and female. Okay, I'm going to tell you what I, from reading this passage, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, I get three aspects of what the image of God is. Okay? One is... Uh, that uh, only humanity has it, so it's referring to the spiritual capacity of humanity. Animals are are not made to enter into a relationship with God, but human beings are because we're in his image. That's the first, because it's uniqueness. Animals don't get it. We get it. So it's referring to that spiritual capacity to enter into a relationship with God. That's number one. Number two, when God says he makes the man and the woman in his image, it says that they will have dominion, rulership. God made us in his image. Just as God is the ruler of the universe, so he created humanity to rule the earth. He gave dominion to humanity to to rule over the earth. That's the second aspect of the divine image, dominion. And the third aspect is where it says that he created man in his own image, and then it says he created them male and female. So what you have is this, we have one God, right? But as the scriptures reveal, because it says it right there, let us make man in our image, us, our. There's a plurality somehow as part of the one God. The you, there's only one God, we're monotheists, but there's a plurality, some aspect of it, uh, of the divine essence 
uh, is found, we know later as we keep reading Scripture, that there are three persons in the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but there's only one God. So it's indicating a plurality in the oneness of God, and you know, because it says our image, our likeness. And then he creates humanity in his image. There's only one essence of what is humanity. We all share it, but there's a plurality within it, male and female. So I would say the three aspects are, first of all, capacity for a spiritual relationship. Secondly, dominion over the earth. And thirdly, a, a plurality within our oneness. We have male and female within humanity just as God does. Does that help you at all? Okay, Evelyn, thanks so much for your call. Uh, we're going we're gonna to move on. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you calling. Uh, we're going to speak next with Robert in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, listening on WRMB. How can I help you today, Robert? Hi. Hi, go ahead with your question. Okay, my, my question is, is I see that about Jairus' daughter. I'm reading the Ryrie Study Bible, New American Standard, Matthew 18 states, Matthew 9, 18 states, um, while he was saying these things to them, behold, there came a synagogue official and bowed down before him, saying, my daughter has just died. Now, in Mark... Chapter 5, verse 23, it says, He entreated him earnestly, saying, My daughter is at the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her that she might uh, may get well and live. And uh, get well and live. So obviously, Matthew says dead, and she's not dead in Mark. Uh, to uh, somebody who wants to scoff at the Bible, that's uh, ammo. Oh, it contradicts itself. What, what do you say, sir? Do you think it's a contradiction? I, I don't think it's a contradiction, but I don't know how to face the scoffer on that to, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, to be uh, victorious. Well, it just seems to me that what you have is someone who was coming to Jesus when his daughter was on the point of death, and by the time Jesus got to the house, she was already dead. And so okay. uh, Mark is emphasizing what he said when he came to Jesus, and Matthew is emphasizing what Jesus found when he entered in. Okay. It's a simple yes, harmonization. Okay? All right. Great. Okay. Great. Thanks for your right. call. Appreciate it. Okay, bye-bye. You know, that's one of the keys for when you read the Gospels. There are these different perspectives. That's why we can trust them, because each author writes from their own perspective, but they're easily harmonized. It's not like they're contradicting each other. Uh, we're going to speak next with... William in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, welcome to Open Line, William. How can I help you today? How you doing today? I'm thanks, doing thanks great. For Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I always get kind of confused, like you know, during the, the tribulation and the, the, the thousand year millennial reign. Uh, is Christians going to be here? What, what what are Christians going to go through during the tribulation? Uh, yeah, the seven year. I, I remember the seven year thing. Uh, can you explain that? Or sure. Like a brief detail of uh, uh, what's going okay. on. Okay. Uh, let me let me go ahead and answer, William. Okay. Uh, 
the tribulation period is called the 70 the Daniel 70th week. Daniel has a prophecy in Daniel 9 about 70 weeks. There are weeks of years and the 70th week is the tribulation period. Uh, a little clue that we get is that it's not for the church but for Israel. In Jeremiah 30 it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, that's what it's, it's, it's the time. It says how awful that day will be. There will be none like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, Jacob referring to Israel, but he will be delivered out of it. The point being is that this is not a time of trouble for the church. It's a time of trouble for Israel. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 1, let me start with 1 Thessalonians 1, that we are not destined for the wrath of God. It's a time when the wrath of God falls on the earth, and our destiny is not wrath. Uh, that's what the Bible says. Uh, it says in verse 10, uh, verse 9 and 10, here's what it says. Uh, 1, Thessalonians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, uh, verse 10, we wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath, the coming wrath. That's the tribulation period. He delivers us out of it. Uh, why? Because first Thessalonians five, nine goes on to say, God did not appoint us to wrath. So when the wrath of the tribulation period comes, it is not for us. Uh, we will be delivered out of it. That's what First Thessalonians 4.13 is talking about through 18 when it talks about the rapture. We won't be there. We'll return at the end of the tribulation with the Lord Jesus, according to Revelation 19. The church will descend with him, deliver Israel, and then uh, we will together be part of that thousand-year reign on earth. I hope that clarifies things for you, William. I appreciate your call. We're going to take a break here. Uh, when we come back, we'll take more of your questions. You're listening to Open Line with me, Michael Rydelnik. Give us a call, 877-548-3675. We're going to take your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life in just a moment. So stay with us. More questions coming up in just a moment. back to Open Line. So glad that you're listening today. So grateful for it. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if listeners really get, but I really appreciate that many do, that this is listener-supported radio, uh, that you are the ones that keep us on the air with your gifts and I think also with your prayers. And uh, I was so struck by how people prayed for me when I was out with a little bit of a health issue. And uh, I felt not just the financial support that people were so generous throughout the years at with Open Line, but the prayer support. So many people sent cards uh, and told me they were praying for me. I am so grateful for that uh, because I know how the Lord keeps this program on the air through you. And for that reason, I wanted to say that uh, since this is listener supported, I want to let you know what we'd like to do to say thank you as you 
give a gift, any, any size gift, uh, if you give a gift of any size. What we want to do is give you this phenomenal book to say thank you. It's called Living by the Book. It was written by my professor that I had for Bible study methods, Howard Hendricks. He was a great teacher. He was one of the best teachers I ever had. Uh, and he was teaching Bible study methods at Dallas Seminary. Every first-year student took Bible study methods with Prof. Hendricks. It turned around the way we read the Bible. It transformed our reading of Scripture. And as a result of that, he put that course into book form. It's called Living by the Book, and we'd love to send you a copy. Just give a gift of any amount, and we'll send you Living by the Book. To give your gift, go, go to openlineradio.org. That's our website, or call 888-644-7122. That's 888-644-7122. And we so appreciate your participation, your partnership right here in Open Line. And we're going to talk to Beth in South Dakota, listening to WJSO. Welcome to Open Line. What's it like in South Dakota these days? Is it cold, Beth? Well, that's uh, cold can can be different to different people. Uh, it's in the twenties right now. A lot better than the sub zero that you probably experienced too. Yeah, it was ten below in Chicago. Then I went to Florida. Yeah, right now <laughs> last weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're at thirty-two right now with lots of snow on the ground. Oh, nice, nice. Well, uh, how can I help you today, Beth? Okay, I just have a question about women's uh, role in ministry, uh, understanding uh, what Paul says about deacons and pastors. But um, I have a question concerning women teaching adults. Um, mm -hmm. We're allowed to teach children, which I think is a very important ministry. But some people do not agree with women teaching adult men. I'm just wanting mm -hmm. to know what, how you uh, explain that, you know, through the Bible and what I might be missing. Okay, well, let me just say, first of all, the verse you're thinking about is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul says in verse 12, uh, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. Now, I think it's really important that we distinguish between the teaching, uh, that we link what kind of teaching he's talking about it's the authoritative teaching of the word that elders did. He's really saying, I don't allow a woman to be an elder, because in the early church, the only people that taught the word in the congregation were the elders. So when he says, I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority, he's limiting eldership. Now, that doesn't mean everyone could teach. It just means uh, that only men could serve as elders in that context. And it's not talking about every category of teaching, as best as I understand it. It's talking about teaching in the local congregation, the, the worship, when they gather together, the authoritative preaching of the word when the community gathered. That's what I believe he was talking about. So what does it mean? Can a woman teach in a Bible school like at Moody Bible Institute? Well, this passage is very clear. Uh, in 1 Timothy 3, it says that Paul is talking about not Bible schools. He's talking about uh, that 1 Timothy is talking about how do we get it along in the local church. 
he he says, I want to come to see you soon, Timothy. But till then, let me tell you this. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. First Timothy chapter 3, he says, I write these things to you hoping to come to you soon, but if I should be delayed, I have written so that you know how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So can a woman teach the Bible at Moody Bible Institute? Although we are sort of an expression of the, the universal church, we're not the local church, we're a school. So can a woman teach 19-year-olds men? I believe so, yes. And so that's an example of, it's not the authoritative proclamation of the word in the local church, rather it's teaching in a Bible school, yes. Uh, a woman could teach in that context. Uh, then also, uh, what about a Sunday school class or a home group? That's not the authoritative proclamation of the word in uh, the, the public gathering of the local congregation. It's sort of a smaller group, and it's not the authoritative proclamation of the word by an elder. It's just a, a facilitator of a class. I think that's acceptable, too. Now, all that said, Beth, a lot of people disagree with me. You know, I, I this is how I understand it, how I apply it, but uh, there are people who would disagree with me and say a woman should never teach a man ever. Uh, every day in my life, though, I learn from my wife. Uh, she teaches me all the time. We study the word together every day. She's my favorite Bible teacher. Uh, I can't say that, but that's, it's acceptable to me because that it's not the authoritative proclamation of the word in the local congregation. That's what I think first Timothy two twelve is limiting. Okay, Beth. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, good. And again, remember there are people who disagree with me. Don't get mad at them. Okay. Or don't get mad at me for disagreeing with you. There's a lot of different opinions on that. It's really how to apply that verse. It's, it's okay we're, if you get mad at me. But I, I, won't, I won't get mad at you if you disagree with me, okay? How's that? <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for your call, Beth. Uh, we're going to talk with Roger in northern Minnesota listening on KBHW. Welcome to Open Line, Roger. How can I help you? Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Um, in Hebrews 6, 1 through 8, Paul is um, warning the Hebrews, the Christians, about um, you know falling away from Christ. And I don't believe that you can lose your salvation, but um, when he talks about tasting the Holy Spirit and things like that, um, um, what would you uh, go over that, please, and... Uh, is that backsliding, or, or what would that be? Well, let me just say uh, that if you want an extended discussion of this, go to our archives, whether with a podcast or uh, if you go online to the Moody website, Open Line Radio, uh, org. There's past programs. Go to December 30th. We rebroadcast a program in the second hour. Mike Van Lanningham, Cisco Cotto, and Eva and I did a ex an extended discussion of Hebrews 6. So December 30th, and that was second hour. Now, uh, I think it's crucial to understand that the writer of Hebrews has made it plain that there are some 
that that he's writing to Jewish believers, and he he's aware that some of those believers are thinking about abandoning the faith. They're thinking about that there's too much pressure. They're going to go back to traditional temple Judaism, wait for those uh, the perse- persecution to go away, and then maybe they'll come back. And what Paul is saying in Hebrews 3, 6, and 9, uh, chapter 3, verses 6, verse 9, is that the mark of election, the fact that we really know the Lord, is endurance. That only, that if a person abandons and apostatizes, that's proof that they don't know the Lord. So what's he saying in Hebrews 6 when he talks about uh, their experience as believers? I think he is saying, you've come close, but you're not there. You need to go all the way to make a profession of faith uh, and really put your trust in Jesus. So when it talks about, uh, pulling up the verse in Hebrews 6 now, uh, what it's talking about when it says, uh, they tasted the good word, they became companions of the Holy Spirit in the sense that they were in the local congregation and the Holy Spirit was working there. They tasted the good word and the powers of the coming age. They heard the word of God taught and they saw it. They were in that congregation. Uh, although they tasted the heavenly gift, they, they had a, a little glimpse of what the Holy Spirit's power was in that local congregation. They were there, but they didn't go all the way to a personal faith in Jesus. That's what he's talking about. They need to trust in Jesus. I hope that helps, uh, Roger. We'll be right back with more of your questions in just a moment. Welcome back to Open Line. So grateful that you're listening today. Really appreciate you. And I also appreciate the Far Eastern Broadcasting Company. What what I love about them is they are reaching the world with radio, and they also partner with OpenLine to bring the weekly FEBC mailbag. And uh, I really want to encourage you to check out the FEBC podcast. It's called Until All Have Heard. The way you find it is by going to febc.org, febc.org, and there you can find the link for their podcast. And again, grateful for their partnership with us. I'm grateful for your partnership with us. You partner with us by listening. You partner with OpenLine by giving. And some of you partner with OpenLine by becoming official kitchen table partners. What you do is you give monthly so we can be on the air weekly. I so appreciate that. And uh, I wanted to say, if you're listening and, and you're a regular and you think, boy, I'd like this to continue, I hope you'll consider becoming a kitchen table partner too. If you do, I'll send you an uh, a Bible study moment every other week. It's an audio Bible study for about five, seven minutes, something like that. You click on it, you get to listen to it, and uh, it's something that will encourage you from the Word. Uh, to become a Kitchen Table Partner, all you have to do is go online to openlineradio.org. There's a place there where you can sign up to be a Kitchen Table Partner, or you can call 888-644-7122. It is so appreciated by all of us here at OpenLine, including Trisha McMillan, who is our producer. She's joining me right now for the FEBC Mailbag. Hey, Trisha. Hi. 
Don't you wish we were back in Florida? <laughs> Uh, for the weather, yes, but yes. you know my family's all here, so yeah, no. I think if you I should have brought them. My, I should have. I absolutely yeah, should have. I think they agreed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but I, I will say it was a lovely, lovely to be down there with everyone last weekend. Um, we had a great time. It was a wonderful audience that we got to do the program in front of and use their questions, mm-hmm. um, and it was just a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, we had a great time. And, yeah. you know, I talked with uh, a lot of people about a lot of different things, even off the air. Mm-hmm. I talked with one woman who said, I'd never thought of sending my son to Moody. He's a, a teenager. He's about 14 or 15. But now we're going to come look at it. And when he's when he gets to be 16, is thinking colleges, he's going to come to Moody Bible Institute and check out the school. Ooh, I thought great. that was my, one of my most fun conversations. I think people ought to do that, don't you? Yes. Well, I talked to someone whose son is here. Just started, oh, really? Yeah. Just started That's at great. Moody um, last fall. And so that was exciting to find out. So we got to mm-hmm. track him down. <laughs> I, I love Moody's mission statement. We, we teach students to live on mission regardless of where they get their paycheck. Uh, we live on mission for the king, for servants of the king. I like to say, uh, regardless of your major, what you do at Moody is you get a great foundation for life. Mm. Great foundation for life. I really believe that that's what changed gave me established me for life uh not necessarily to go persons i know a lot of students doctors and lawyers and bankers and who knows what else they're involved in teachers uh in different schools and they got their foundation for life at moody bible institute so check it out go to moody.edu you can always see what we're about and one of the great advantages of coming to moody i just calculated it uh went online resident students in our undergraduate program get a full tuition scholarship it is the, one of the best deals you'll ever find uh for a, a high level great bible education with an emphasis on giving you a biblical foundation uh it's a great deal uh for that tuition paid model right mm-hmm. so uh, you and i couldn't have done it i think apart nope. Nope. <laughs> the Lord was good to us. So, okay, well, let's go to the mailbag. All right. Debbie in Vermilion, Ohio, um, says that she took a stewardship class at her church by given by a deacon in the church, and he stated something that she didn't know, that there's no mention of 10% tithing in the Bible. Is this true, and what should we be giving? Uh well, there is, I, I don't want to disagree with someone who's teaching a class because they're obviously always right, but uh, there is mention of a tithe, uh, but not only a tithe, so to speak. Uh, what we have, for example, uh, there's a tithe that's given for the priests, there's a tithe for the temple. That's a 10%. And there's also a tithe for the poor over three years, 10% given over three years. So as I calculated, uh, Israel was giving 23 and a third percent according to the law of Moses because the, the, the poor tithe was over three years. So 23 and a third percent per year. So, uh, I, you know, tithe means 10%. Based on it being 23 and a third, we can say you're given a quarter of income but that i I always that's under the law of moses and the way it was done in the law of moses 
was sort of the taxation system for the constitution of Israel, for the people of Israel. That's what the point was. It, it wasn't uh, uh, just the... Uh, it, it wasn't just to support the, the local congregation. And then, of course, there were extra gifts that people gave, additional gifts, in, in addition to the 23 and a third percent that God required of them in the law of Moses. What I love in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it says that we give sacrificially, generously, uh, even beyond what, we're, uh, what we think we'd, we're really able to. So for some person, that might be 5% because they make so little. For another person, it should be more than 10% uh, because they, they make so much money. So generosity is the key and sacrifice. Uh, I always tell people God wants the le lesson from the Old Testament is regular percentage giving, not necessarily 10%. But the other lesson that I would give is that it should be generous and sacrificial. Is there a spot where it is not being a good steward? Um Meaning, um, you know, your church is having a special fundraiser to do a new building project thing. Um, mm -hmm. And so you, you know, and often they will say, pray about how much you could give over the course of three mm -hmm. years, five years, ten years, whatever. Mm -hmm. And and let's say you, you're like, well, we could, we could easily do X, you know, $100. Mm -hmm but we want to push ourselves and so let's do 500 or something like mm -hmm. that where there where that might based on your income might not be a wise choice I, i'm not sure if i'm asking this well mm -hmm. I, like, I understand what you mean trusting god and giving yeah. sacrificially and making a poor decision <laughs> financially well, the ex the example i would give is a friend of mine who said to i was talking with him he said i just can't afford to give at all, because I have to be responsible and pay my bills. And I said to him, do you have cable TV? And he said, well, yeah, we got bad reception where I live. It was, it was before the era of, <laughs> you know, uh, the internet, internet and all mm -hmm. that. And I said, well, you think getting good reception is more important than giving to God? And so he... He said, what are you proposing? I said, well, maybe you need to sacrifice good reception, sacrifice cable, and use it. And that's what I would say about this. It's not necessarily saying, I'm going to just believe God will give me more money for this. It's it's saying, here's something I can take out of my lifestyle that I can then add in additional giving to God. That's what the sacrificial aspect is, which I, I do think is interesting that that man realized he was being un, not real faithful about giving and began to give, reorganize hmm. his budget, but didn't get rid of cable TV. Hmm, found something yeah. else, huh? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for that yeah. question, Debbie. Um, yeah. Next question is from Bonnie in Illinois. Listens to WGNN. When is fear sinful? Uh, well... I think the, the verses that say, do not fear, it's not like God is saying, do not, it's sort of like the verses that people take when they say, don't worry. Jesus said, don't worry in Matthew 6, three times. They say, if you're worried, you're sinning. I don't think Jesus was saying, do not worry as a means of, of pointing out sinning. What he was saying is as an encouragement. It's sort of like when my kid was taking the SAT and he was concerned 
and studying, and I said, don't worry, you got this. I wasn't saying if you disobey me, you're disobeying your dad, and, and you're going to be in big trouble now. I was saying it to encourage him. I think that most of the commands, do not fear, are designed to give us hope and encouragement, not designed to make us feel even more guilty now that we're fearful about something. But being fearful, uh, you know, being disobeying that, 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 that urge to be fearful, to going ahead and being courageous. As I talked to uh, someone last week, there was someone that we interviewed on the radio at, uh, at our conference, and, and she said she doesn't like speaking in front of people. She's afraid in front of people. Then she did a great job uh, and was, was wonderful. And I said to her that courage isn't the absence of, of uh, uh, what is it, uh, in the stomach. Uh, what's that expression? Uh, the, butterflies? I, I've got, you got butterflies in your stomach, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not the absence of butterflies. It's making them fly in formation. Mm -hmm. And so she was always fearful the whole time, but did great because she just determined to do what she thought she should do. And that's the same thing. So often those verses where we say, do not fear, uh, I think it, they become problematic if we don't do what we feel God is leading us to do out of fear. It's, it's not the fear that's the sin, but it's the disobedience to God's leading that could be sin. So being fearful isn't the problem. We still have to make those butterflies in our stomach fly in formation okay. and do what's right. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to take it. a break here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, had a great time talking with you, Tricia. You and uh, we're going to uh, encourage you, send your questions in if you'd like Tricia to ask them for you. Uh, just have to go to openlineradio.org and go to the link that says Ask Michael a Question. We're going to be back talking with you in just a moment on the phone. That was Tricia McMillan. I'm Michael Rydelnik. We're going to be right back. Don't go away. And uh, for participating in the program, really appreciate that. You know, it's the beginning. It's still the last week of the beginning of the year, the first month. And at the outset of the year, it's good to remember God's priority of reaching the Jewish people with the good news. And that's why uh, Chosen People Ministries, who partners with Open Line, is offering a free booklet to the Open Line audience. It's called "To the Jew First in the 21st Century." It was written by Dr. Al Mohler. Right from the scriptures, Dr. Mola reminds us of what we need to know about the Jewish people and how to reach our Jewish friends and why we should reach our Jewish friends and neighbors. For your free copy, just go to the Open Line website. That's openlineradio.org. Scroll down all the way where you see a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, and that will take you, take you to a link where you can sign up for your own copy of To the Jew First in the 21st century. Don't miss out. This is the last week we're doing it. I hope you'll get a copy of To the Jew First in the 21st Century by Al Mohler. We're going to speak with Lewis in Oxford, Alabama, listening online. Welcome to Open Line. How can I help you today? Good morning, Doctor. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. Good morning, Doctor. Hey, thank you for taking my call. But look here. How long was Egypt, I mean, how long was Israel in Egyptian captivity? I mean, does the scripture say how many years they stayed down there in 
in our captivity. It says that they were in around 400 years, is what God told Abraham. They would go down for 400 years. Paul writes that it was 430 years. I believe that's what it is. Uh, but that was not fully captivity. Uh, what, what this is, uh, there's actually, there's nothing stated in Scripture about uh, how long they were enslaved. Uh, the the best estimate we can make is that the Hyksos dynasty uh, was a West Semitic uh, dynasty. And uh, it's, some people believe that when the Hyksos ceased to reign over Egypt in the early 16th century, or I'm sorry, late 16th century, about it was almost uh, like 1520-something B.C., uh, that that's when a pharaoh arose who didn't remember Joseph uh, because the Jewish people were Semitic people, and so a non-Semitic dynasty arose, didn't remember Joseph, who had been the leader. And so some people would say since, since the uh, Exodus was about 1400 B.C., that the Jewish people were in captivity about 120 years. Okay? Okay, thank that, you. Thank you, sir. You have a great day. Sure. Uh, great talking with you. But that was, there's, Lewis, I just want to say there's a lot of conjecture in there, so we don't know. Okay? Okay, sir. Hey, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Great. Uh, we're going to talk to Joy in Monroeville, Alabama, listening on WMFT. Welcome to Open Line. How can I help you today? I have a question about Numbers 25-8, the meaning of K-U-B-B-A-H, um, okay. which, according to Ellicott's commentary, occurs only in this verse. And I found it translated as tent, alcove, brothel, house, and chamber. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what, what's, what's the best translation for it? Well... Uh... It means tent or inner room is what it means. And okay. uh, uh, I think it makes perfect sense in uh, uh, in that sense that, that that's, that's what it means. Uh, but it's, you know, anytime you have a, ready, here's a big word, ready? Hapax legomena. Okay. Ooh. It means, how's that a big word, huh? Anytime you have a hapax <laughs> legomena, what it's saying is, uh, we, we're we not sure what it means. But in the, do you ever have uh, your kid ask you a question or someone ask you a question? What does this word mean? You say, read me the sentence you're reading and I'll put it in context. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that's how you get the meaning. So he went after the man into the room, tent. That's what it means in context. So that's clearly what it means. It's how the Septuagint, the Greek translation, translated it. And so th that's what it means. Okay? Okay, so would that be his tent? Uh, doesn't say, but it would probably be the tent that he was in. I don't know if it belonged to him. Okay. There's, okay. So, okay. Uh, it says he followed the Thank Israelite man into the tent. Oh, I'm glad to be back. Thanks. Does that help you? 
What, why why yeah. were you wondering Thank about you. the meaning of that word of all things? Well, we just were doing a Bible study and we had questions about where he took this woman. And we just weren't sure. I wasn't yeah, sure. I, th- I like I to think that dig deeper. The man, uh, the man took the woman. Fin- uh, let's see here. Uh, you know what happened here in the context. There was uh, right, an right. Israelite. Who t- he took a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and the whole congregation said, we're going to defy God. We're going to defy Moses and brought them into the tent and basically was sleeping with her. And Phineas went after the man and apparently went into the tent where he brought the woman and they were engaged in uh, illicit relations and he pierced them through, which is pretty serious uh, event, but it was a very different time, very different circumstance. And uh, that's what he did there. Uh, And the plague on the sons of Israel was checked because of that. So uh, Mm that, that's what that was about. Uh, thanks for your call, Joe. I'm going to okay. take this last call here. Uh, thanks, Jeanette, for your call in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Uh, go ahead with your question. Just ask your question as fast as you can. Okay. I'd like a definition of the glory of God. Uh, mm-hmm. we, are, we sing about glorifying God, and Jesus says um, that, that my disciples may see my glory. Mm-hmm. What... How would you define that? I think God's glory, as I look at it, when you see God's glory, his great majesty, purity, righteousness, it just emanates from him. When we glorify him, we give him praise for who he is and his nature. So when we talk about the, the Shekinah glory of God, the great, uh, the righteousness and holiness, the, the, the magnificence, uh, magnificence of God just radiates off of him. And then in, in response, uh, we give him praise. We glorify him for that. I hope that helps a little bit. It's a very quick answer, but I hope it helps. We're going to have to say that's the program for the week. Uh, check in next week. Uh, appreciate all that you have done for uh, listening. And thanks to our Chicago crew, Trish. Bob, Laura, appreciate that. Check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. It's got links you're looking for, like our current resource, how to become a kitchen table partner, and also how to get the chosen people resource. Keep reading the Bible. We'll talk about it next week. Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. See you next week.